Well, we're going to look at some scriptures, quite a few actually. But my first question to begin today is, how many here are perfect? Raise your hand. No hands. How many are almost perfect? Raise your hand. We got one. Is it possible to be perfect? I was on the internet yesterday and just for the heck of it, I typed some of these things in there and got some websites. And <coughs> Christians actually say that there is no such thing as a perfect Christian. And here's one quote from, from one minister on, on the web. He said, the perfect Christian does not exist. Let's begin in Matthew 19. Now, another uh, source said this. Can a Christian be perfect, flawless, or without sin? Now, this is something a little different. And the answer, they said, from the Bible is no. And they quote, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God from Romans. Uh, but they're equating perfection here with sinlessness, which is something a little different. Now, we believe Jesus, don't we? And we wouldn't be sitting here if we didn't. In Matthew 19, verse 16, this is a very familiar portion of Scripture. Now behold, one came, and this is the, the rich young ruler, and said to him, Good teacher, what good things shall I do that I may uh, inherit or that I may have eternal life? And then going down to verse 21, Jesus said unto him, If you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give it to the poor and so on, and you will have treasure in heaven. So Jesus says to him, if you want to be perfect, now why would Jesus say, if you want to be perfect, if it wasn't possible to be perfect? Good question. I want to write a few things up here, and you might want to jot them down and remember this. Now, the English word or the English definition for the word perfect is to be without fault or flawless. Now, how many here are without fault and flawless? And the answer is none of us. What takes place many times is that we take an English definition, an English meaning of the word, and we go to the Bible and we read it and we take that meaning, the, the meaning that we have in the English language that we know, and we're applying it to the scripture, and many times confusion results. For example, the word love is a good example. Uh, the word believe. Now, the English word, I mean, I believe in George Washington. But that word is different. We use the English word. That's the word they use to translate whatever Greek word is, pistos or whatever it is. Uh, and and that, the, the Greek word means something a little different. It means to trust in, to adhere to, to cleave to. So it's talking about something on a personal level, personal relationship. 
not a mental I believe. I believe in, you know, George Washington or whoever it may be. So you take these English words many times, and we do this, and we bring them into the Bible because those are the words they use to translate it, and we don't see beyond that, and, and we base what we know and what we think upon these meanings, and sometimes they are not as accurate as we think. See, we think we're, we're looking at something that's, and we're, we're um, having the great divide. You know, we're, we're right there where it's, it's to be. And, and now we find later that it may not be what we thought it was. So the English word means without faults or shortcomings. Now turn to 2 Corinthians. I find that this is very common in Christianity where words are taken from the English language and we base what we know and what we believe upon those words when many times they are not accurate. We have to really go into the Bible and look at these things. In 2 Corinthians 13, verse 11, Finally, brethren, farewell. This is Paul speaking to the church in, in Corinth. And be perfect, be of good comfort, and so on. And that word there, be perfect, is in the command form. So Paul is telling them, or commanding them, that they are to be perfect. Now what's going on here? See, it's not talking about your, your shortcomings and your faults. See, we all have those. And when I said earlier, who here is perfect, no one raised their hand because we are thinking of the English definition of the word. And when you think of that, you, you're, you're, you balk. You say, of course, I'm not perfect. I see all my faults. I see my shortcomings. I see all these things that I am not. But I have a few things here. This meaning, now there are Five words in just the New Testament. Five different Greek words translated by the one word in English, perfect. Five. And I, I just have a, a few things to show you with this, but the main word is teleos. That's 5046 in the Strong's. And that means growth. It means maturity, to be complete. It's talking about your character, moral character and, and the like, to become a spiritual adult. So when you see the word perfect used, mainly in the New Testament, that's the word used, teleos, and it's not talking about your faults and your shortcomings. It's talking about where you are in your development are you growing, as Paul's commanding the church, to grow, 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 to develop? Uh, to, nothing is lacking, in other words. Now, in another part of the Bible, the word perfect means to be complete, thoroughly furnished, if you will, uh, adjusted. That's another uh, word meaning adjusted, the word perfect. 
Uh, and then there's another place where a different Greek word is used, and it's talking about perfect knowledge, or, and that's only used three times, where uh, a person is able to be brought into something more exact in their revelation, uh, where he talks about having a perfect knowledge, or a more exact knowledge, and we'll look at that in, in a little bit. But turn uh, to Colossians. Now, it's interesting, the Old Testament, there's also, and of course I didn't get into all the different meanings of the word there, but the main one I saw is very, very similar. It means integrity, it means to be sound or complete. And then in another portion of the New Testament where um, Peter, I believe it's Peter, passes by the man who's at the gate beautiful, and he says, silver and gold have I none, and, and so on. So the man, he reaches down, he picks up the man, and the man's ankles and, and feet receive strength. And so he goes into the temple with them. And he, it says there that he was there perfectly sound or perfectly whole. And that word there is only used one time. That's talking about the physical body. But in Colossians 1, verse 28. Whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ. And he's talking there about, well, growth, but that you would be presented, or the church he's talking about would be presented uh, with these inner virtues or the inner character of God. You cannot have the inner character of God. You cannot have that development within your spirit, without growth. And many times, growth is equated with knowledge. See, knowledge, studying the Bible, your knowledge of the Bible is not growth. See, growth and inner character, see, they walk hand in hand. True growth is not a number of years, it's not your knowledge of the Bible, it's not all that you may think that you know, it's not how much you study. True growth is the development of certain characteristics or virtues of the Lord within you. That is true growth. So Paul is talking to the church and he said that I would want to present you with that type of growth so there was a development within you, and I would like to present you to Christ that way. And you see this in Corinthians and various epistles of Paul, that he has this burden on his heart for the church, uh, not that they would have what they want, but that he would somehow be used by the Lord to bring them from where they were to where they are, and the Lord would bring them eventually to where they would be or could be in him. So that burden many times is placed upon men of God for the church, that there would be a development so that the Lord can work on them to bring them to perfection, to bring them to maturity. It's not that you don't have faults, but you come into this place where the Lord has worked upon you and he is moving you toward perfection. He is moving you toward maturity 
So that now, because he has done what he has done in you, he has something to tap into and give and bring out, like he did with Paul, to those in the church who are stunted in growth. And I could not find this. It was a quote. I I, I looked, I could not find it, but I'll paraphrase it for you. That this one writer said that today in the church that people are not developed and they are satisfied where they are spiritually and the church teaches them to be satisfied. And I thought that was quite something. If there is not men, for example, where are the tozers of of today uh, in CNMA, for example? Where are the Walter Butlers, where are the Charles Hans? Well, they're mainly not found in, as far as I can see, in the denominations. There's a reason for that. Now, there, there may be some, but what I can see, mainly there is something beyond. Certain men develop and they move beyond the denomination. They may still be in there, but in their development, they're beyond that and they're bringing out truth that the normal person is not seeing. They're bringing out truth that many of the ministers of God are not preaching. You know, well, just be satisfied where you are. And, you know, they don't say those words, but their teaching and preaching actually keeps people from developing. And that's quite a statement, but I believe that's true. Whereas the apostles all had this upon their heart, that you would be perfect. You, 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 not your shortcomings and faults, but that you would develop in the Lord Jesus Christ, putting all those things aside. You see, if you have your eyes upon your shortcomings and your faults, then you cannot have your eyes on Jesus. See, because you're seeing your faults. Rather than looking away from you, looking away from your shortcomings, and seeing the one who can take you where you could never go in and of yourselves. You know, with all your study, with all your trying, with all your effort, with all your church going, with all your reading, with all your praying, You could never make it there. But Jesus, he will come. And the deep in him, and I don't understand this. I know it's true, but I don't understand it. Where the deep in him calls out and cries out to the deep in the heart of man. More specifically, into the heart of Christians. And he's looking for, you know, a response. Do you ever sense in your heart that there's more? Do you ever have this sense that there's more, Lord, you have for me? Not to do, but spiritually, where you are going, where he is drawing you. He says, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. If he's lifted up, there is this draw there 
if the minister lifts up Jesus correctly, there is this draw or there is this call of deep that comes out of the heart of Jesus to whosoever will that will respond and allow him to work and bring them on further in, in this life, in this, you know, this walk. So I personally do not want to be a Christian of stunt growth. I do not want to be at ease uh, in the, the um, land of blessing. Rather, I want the Lord to continue to draw me, continue to put a hunger in my heart for him. And, and he will. He will. In Ephesians 4, verse 13. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Now, <clears throat> the knowledge of the Son of God is not a biblical knowledge. It, it is and it's not. Just reading and studying, and what have you, is no guarantee that a person will enter and have this knowledge of God. Now, it's helpful if the Lord is leading you to study. It's very good, because he can reveal himself to you, and so on. But the knowledge of God is not like a knowledge that you would get at a university, a knowledge of a subject. It doesn't come that way. It comes through your life, walking with him, and all the different things he brings in, into your life that you have to deal with, that you have to look to him in, uh, to move in, and to have the victory, and to overcome. All, all these different things bring a knowledge of God, an inner knowledge, not here. You will never, ever, I mean, you can study the Bible every day of the week, 20 hours a day, and, and you won't understand and see it all. Like you have some of these people, there's people out there that have every single verse in the Bible memorized. Can you imagine that? What a memory you have. And quote them, boom, boom, boom. But that doesn't mean they have come into the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God is something different. See, you must pursue after him in your heart to obtain the knowledge of God. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't read the Bible. Our main source of revelation the Lord uses is the Bible. But I'm saying that there's more than the written page. There is something going on in us, and it is to be a pursuit of him, that we would come into something more. Till we all come to the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man. Now, in this verse, now in the King James, it uses the word twice, the word unto. In the New King James, um, it says, to a perfect man, and then it goes on to the measure, uh, to the, is this, is both of the, those are the same Greek word, it's, it's the word ice, E-I-S, and the word ice uh, shows direction. 
And the direction is toward something and then into something. Very small word. So let me read this again. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, uh, toward and into a perfect man, or toward and into a development, growth, maturity, to the measure uh, or toward toward and into the measure, and, and that word, again, means growth and maturity. See, we don't see that. We see the English word there. To the maturity of the stature, or the, st- or the maturity of Christ, or the fullness of Christ, being complete, being filled, uh, being mature in Him, whatever that is uh, for, for us. So that is the direction that the Lord seems to be moving. See, the church today, since I can ever remember, has always been caught up in works. Now, we know the teaching that the Bible talks about works. We are to do good works and all that. But that seems to take the forefront. That seems to be in the main view, and that's the picture that the church paints. You've become a Christian, now you have to go out and do good works. Rather than, I will make you to become, like it says in Mark, there's a development, there is a growth, and then when the growth occurs, then you go out and you do the works, because the works are based upon the heart, the works are just not what you do. It's how you do them, what's going on within. That's what makes good works good works. But the church puts this thing out there, and it's true, we are to do works. But yet, more accurately, first of all, the Christian must develop. The Christian must grow. The Lord wants to bring them on so that whenever they go and they do, they are moving toward and into something that is something beyond the works that are accomplished through them. It's more than the works. See, God will always work on the worker in the work. But many times, all we see is the work. But he's, he's wanting to work in the worker. So if you're doing works and things are not falling in line the way you think they should be or they're difficult and you have to overcome, you remember that that's all a part of works. He wants to work on the worker. How's he going to bring you into a fuller place? You know, how's he going to develop you? And I, I have a few scriptures that I want to look at in a little bit. And we know them. But sometimes I think that we focus on the wrong things. And I'm not saying we here necessarily. I'm saying Christians in general are more focused on singing in the choir or some other thing rather than having a pursuit of God and making sure that that is alive in them that they are hungering and thirsting after righteousness. 
See, the Lord didn't say hunger and thirst after works. See, the works are good, but there is a depth to the hunger and thirst. Don't feed your kids for a day and a half, and you'll see the depth of their hunger and thirst. Don't feed yourself for a couple days. And you'll see that there is this compelling force within for food, for water. Well, hunger and thirst after righteousness. See, if you hunger and thirst, that is a pursuit that will take you into another area where you are in a place where God can develop you. He can can bring maturity into your Christian life. And, And so, as I said, Christians sometimes focus on the minors rather than the majors. And it's, I guess it's not their fault. See it because many teachers in the church, many preachers and pastors in the church don't emphasize enough, if they emphasize it at all, a further relationship. Um, I've come that you might have life, okay, you're saved, and that you might have it more abundantly. See, abundant, the, the abundant life is talking about growth. It's talking about increase. It's talking about maturity. It's talking about something further than you have. Now, turn to Romans 9. How many here are perfect? Raise their hand. <laughs> now, you're seeing it a little different, I hope. Yes? Growth. 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 Maybe I should say it this way. How many here are moving toward perfection? (laughs) Well, now that's different. Not talking about your shortcomings and faults. Now, what we believe, and I mentioned this last week, I talked about it. What we believe is more important than we think sometimes. In Romans 9, verse 31. Now you talk about a pursuit. It says in the New King James here, but Israel pursuing, pursuing. They went after this thing full bore. Israel pursuing the law of righteousness has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith. So they majored in a minor there. They were looking for the law of righteousness, and they went about fulfilling all these laws and these traditions, and he, he says, Paul says, and Jesus said, that you missed it because you didn't pursue by faith. See, the pursuit is not to be the law anyway. Uh, The Lord can use that. The Lord can use the word, but the pursuit is not the word. The pursuit is not church. The pursuit is not the law. See, you have to pursue him by faith. You have to look to Jesus, not these other things, as good as they may be. Your direction must be correct. 
to obtain certain things. So he says that they didn't make it. Now, if you remember in 2 Kings, it talks about the prophets of Baal. Now, you talk about a bunch of people that were dedicated and pursuing the God of, of Baal. So much so, they cut themselves with spears and what have you and knives in their worship of Baal. That's what they believed. They believed Baal was God. But their belief didn't do them any good whatsoever because he didn't answer their prayers. He didn't kindle the fire without a flame. They tried to call down fire, but it didn't work. But they believed. They believed with all their heart. So if I'm going to believe something with all my heart, I should really say, Lord, help me. See, we get set in our mind, and we think things are a certain way, and we get set in that, and we take a little turn. I'm not talking about being saved or unsaved. I'm just talking about where we go. And we go off a little bit. And our view of something isn't true, the true biblical view many times. So what I believe matters. The prophets of Baal, they believed. But their belief took them in a totally different direction. The Jews believed that they were right in seeking the law of righteousness, but not by faith. See, they believed, you get the Orthodox Jews, I mean, they're pretty darn strict, real strict. So what we believe matters. Now turn to Acts. You know, there are Christians who believe that they're, they're saved and they're going to heaven, and they firmly believe that that's it, that there's not a whole lot more than that. And they believe that after the judgment that they're going to be perfect, totally perfect. Hmm. I don't know where they get that in the Bible. I mean, I have an idea, but I'm not sure. In Acts 19, verse 1, And it happened when Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus, and finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Ghost when you believed? So they said to him, we have not so much heard whether there is a Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Into what then were you baptized? So they said, Into John's baptism. And then he goes on, and in verse 6, And Paul laid his hands on them, and the Holy Ghost uh, came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. And by the way, that's 25 years after Pentecost there. But it took Paul with a fuller, degree of, tr of truth to come and bring these Christians who were stunted in their belief, bring them out from this, we not, have not even heard that there be any Holy Ghost. All we know is the baptism of John. That's all they knew. That's all they were, all they were taught. So God sends Paul, the minister, and now he is going to expound the, the truth so that what they believe now is going to be more accurate than what they had before. See, so as I said, what a Christian gets cemented into, 
can be detrimental to them, especially if they don't have a heart that is soft enough to take things to the Lord. I have done that for years. You know, you learn something and you think it's right. Well, when I first became a Christian, I learned all kinds of things. And I thought I was right. I thought it was correct. And then I, I came, when the church started up in uh, Sheridan Inn, we didn't have a pastor. And so we called up uh, Butler. We said to the, uh, them up there, we'd like to have somebody come down, one of the students to come down to, you know, preach in the morning and the evening till we get a pastor. And so they sent somebody down, and they got up and they ministered. And I heard a minister, I said, that's not no student. It was Charles Hahn. Every single service, it was as if there was a hammer and it was beating the pieces of my heart. Just everything that I knew broke it all and shattered it all. And I said, Lord, I don't understand this, but inside I knew it was right. But I didn't understand it, didn't line up with anything that I knew. And ever since then, when I learn something, I hold that and say, Lord, if I am over a little bit on this, I give you room to correct my heart, correct my thinking. Because, you know, we're not all 100%. Our doctrine, there's none of us where our doctrine is 100% exact. Because... We don't have full revelation. But that's okay. It's all right. If you have a Christian who gets cemented in, this is what I believe, and that's it. You can't show me anything else. You can't teach me anything else. The Lord can't show me anything else from the Bible because I believe I'm right. Well, now you're in trouble. Now, someone with a fuller degree of revelation, if they come, you shut them out. You can't receive that because you think you're right. I'm glad that uh, these here didn't do that. Oh, you know, the John's baptism, that's the only thing that, you know, it's in, it's in the scriptures, you know, whatever. You know, it's what we believe, it's what we know. It's what he taught in the, in the wilderness. No, they, they heard the words of Paul and knew something to it, and they were honest. I don't, we don't even know anything about the Holy Ghost. Okay, well... This is what it is. We're going to lay our hands on you and pray, and you receive the Holy Ghost. And they did. Turn to Acts 18, verse 24. Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born in Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. Now listen to this. He says here that he was an eloquent man and he was mighty in the scriptures. Mighty. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Wow. <laughs> so there he is, mighty in the scriptures, and he's teaching. And these two, who had a church in their home, I don't even know if he was a pastor, who he was, I don't know. 
he was a Christian. Him and his wife take him aside and they're going to instruct him so that he's, he's teaching a little more accurately. That's nice if you could receive it. More exactly. And, um, is the word perfect used in there in the King James? What verse? 26? What's it say? More perfect. Perfect, per, okay. That's, that's uh, one of these words I was telling you about. I don't remember which one it was. I, I think it's, this may only be used like three or four times, and it means more exactly, like, like the New King James. That's the meaning of it, like it translates it. So, growth. How many want to grow? No one. Nobody wants to grow. I know you all raise your hand. You, you raise your hand side, right? Okay, 1 Peter 2, and, and this is a verse we know. There are various ways in which growth occurs. And actually, as I was looking at this, I was seeing, seeing it all over the place in the Bible. There, there isn't one way only, but there's multiple ways. And I believe the Lord sets it up this way um, to bring about a desired effect so that the, the Lord can use various things in our life to cause growth. Now, the main one he uses, and, and I'll, I'll, we'll read this and then I'll read another one. Verse 2 As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. And by the way, in that verse, that ye may grow thereby, is a subjunctive mood verb. That means that it's possible to grow. It doesn't necessarily mean it's a guaranteed thing. There are Christians who have been Christians for years and never develop and never grow much at all. They remain in this stunted form because, uh, I don't want to say an imperfect body of truth, but that which they are hearing doesn't really either help them to move toward the Lord and grow, or they're not hearing. One of the two. One of the two. You have churches that, that do teach to bring the people on, and sometimes you have those in the church who don't hear. And then you have churches that don't even Teach much of anything. Desire the sincere or the pure milk of the word. Um, what's the verse uh, about the meat of the word? It's in, it's in Hebrews. Um, Strong meat belongeth to them who are, are of full age. Full age means that they are developed, they're maturing. They're, they're in that process, and they can handle strong meat. And, of course, the meat is, is primarily dealing with the Word of God. In um, Deuteronomy, you don't have to turn there, 8, 3, the verse we know. So he humbled you, speaking of the, of the Israelites in the wilderness, and fed you with manna. Why? Why did the Lord feed them with manna? Because they were, they were hungry. Well, you know, that's not the real reason. I mean, that's, that's a reason, yes, but that's the reason they thought. 
okay, we have physical hunger, and the Lord's giving us manna because of our physical hunger. Well, that's true. But there's something beyond that. Why did the Lord feed them with manna in the wilderness? That, the, that, he, that they would know, or that the Lord would make them know, that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. The reason he fed them with manna in the, in the wilderness is to show them that man does not live by bread or manna alone. He's to live by the word of God. See, and, and he's talking there again about what the Lord does to bring about growth. And all the Israelites in the wilderness apart from a few, never matured, never developed. They stayed where they were, and they, they walked around for 40 years in a circle in the wilderness. Just keep on marching around. God's people never developed. And I'm sad to say this, that I don't know how the Lord's going to bring the church where he wants the church. I, I don't know, because it seems to me that he's been trying to do something for, for quite some time. And I, know I just don't mean in our century. Trying to bring them on to a certain place, and he has been unsuccessful. Uh, you know, he's, he's been successful with the remnant, a small amount. But as far as... The, the masses in Christianity, <coughs> excuse me, as far as the majority of the people, he has not been able to, to get them on, to move them on. So it becomes a sad thing when you see the underdeveloped Christians and, and what their focus and attention is upon. You know, growth comes mainly through the Word of God, mainly. There, there's other reasons, there's other uh, methods too. Growth does not come by listening to contemporary Christian music. Well, I'm listening to this, and I hear people say that, and, and it helps me grow. No, it doesn't. I mean, it may meet some need. It may help you in another way, but it's not helping you grow. You live by the word of God, you'll grow. Not memorize it, live by it. What word of God? What is presently proceeding to you? That's what you live by. And that's, that will bring growth. You take a little baby. A little baby, you know, the Lord has put growth in them. Right down in the DNA. And when that starts, I mean, it starts in the womb. And then what happens? It's bigger, right, Wendy? It's bigger and bigger and bigger. Then the baby comes out. Does the baby stop growing then? No. See, that was put in them. Growth is put in them. And you don't have to tell them to grow. You can't stop it. Nothing can stop that growth factor in a child unless you don't feed it. You feed a child... Uh, you give it uh, drink, water, and milk, whatever it needs, you meet its needs, it will automatically grow and develop. 
But what does that tell me about Christians today? They are not getting what they need to develop because when they were birthed from above, that growth factor was put in them, and all that needs to be done to cause that thing to continue on is that they need to be watered, they need to be fed, you know, they have this hunger and thirst for righteousness, all that. And, and that child in the Lord will develop. Now, he might need corrected, he might be, need to be brought into a more exact area of truth, but the point is that individual will develop, will. doesn't matter what they think, you might not think they're growing, but that's not the case. That's not the case. <clears throat> and then in Acts it says, And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of grace which is able to build you up. See, the word, building you up. And then in Ephesians, it's the verse where, let's turn to Ephesians 4 in closing. Ephesians 4, 16 Verse 11, and he he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and teachers. For what reason? For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Verse uh, 15. Verse uh, 16 is what I want to show you. Well, we'll read 15. But speak the truth uh, in love, may grow up in all things into him, subjunctive mood again. It's possible, not a guaranteed thing. A Christian can be stunted in their growth. Who is the head Christ? From whom the whole body joint, joined and knit together by which every, and listen to this, every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share. When every part does its share, causes growth of the body. Paul says. So that's another means of growth when the body, everybody does their, their part, their share, that, that is a, a, a um, it creates this environment where now those involved in that environment will grow, will grow. And then there's, there's other means too, that like in Deuteronomy it says that the Lord he brings the former and the latter rain. Now, if you have a, a, a crop in the field, in order for that crop to develop from seed to fruit, you have to have the early rain, and then there's a development there, and then periodically, you know, the, everything that's involved there, the um, fertilizer and what have you. And then it says the latter rain, and the latter rain brings the, the crop toward the end, to its full maturity. And it it talks about in the Bible that he would send the former and the latter rain. And see, he does that for you personally. He will send the former rain, and he will send the latter rain. So that's another method that God uses to bring about growth in your life. So the rain causes you to grow. Everybody doing their part causes you to grow. The Word of God causes you to grow. 
So it seems, and there's other, other things too. It seems to me that the Lord has laid out quite a bit in the Bible for your benefit so that you would not remain where you are spiritually, but that rather you would develop as you walk with him and all these things come to bear in your life, you will not be a stunted Christian. You will not be an underdeveloped sweet potato. Have you ever seen an underdeveloped sweet potato? It's like pretty nasty looking. It's like, you know, it had one that goes like this, and then it goes like this. It's like, turns up. It's like, oh my goodness. What do you do with an underdeveloped sweet potato? <laughs> you throw it away. We don't want to be underdeveloped sweet potatoes. See, the Lord wants you to be developed. He wants maturity. He wants fruit that others can feed upon. And, and so that they can be fed. So that they can be watered. So that they can develop. And then the cycle goes on. So that they can mature. So that they can become perfect. Perfect, as Paul prayed for the church. So as we begin with the scripture where Paul says, be ye perfect. That's not the direct quote, but he tells the church to be perfect. And he, he puts that in the command form. And so you, as a Christian, are commanded to mature and develop. So now you walk with God. And he'll bring in your life whatever he needs to to bring about the development that he so chooses and desires. Okay. Thank you.